Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is an ABC podcast. Listeners are advised that this week's podcast contains explicit and distressing content in the form of a series of detailed descriptions of trades in the AFLW. Listener discretion is advised and we recommend this episode for mature, psychologically resilient audiences only and Richmond fans. It's trade week. Hug your loved ones. Good plan, good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Out of Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. I am your host, Kate Sear, coming to you from my lounge room on a very, very chilly Melbourne night. Things in Victoria are starting to bear an uncanny resemblance to Groundhog Day. It's snowing outside, each day feels just like the one before, and the AFL has doubled down on this Groundhog Day theme, keeping us stuck in a time loop with footy on every night of the week. But as Bill Murray says in Groundhog Day, what would you do if you were stuck in one place and every day was exactly the same and nothing that you did mattered? Well, the answer, my friends, is to record a podcast. <laughs> and there is no better way to do that than with my lockdown loving lady friends. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Shelley Ware. Nicole Hayes. Julia Kiera. Oh, and hi, I'm Felicity Race. <laughs> 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 well, welcome everyone. But yes, I I do have to reserve a very special welcome to you, Felicity, because it's been ages since we've had you on the pod. And now that we're recording at night, we can see you and be with you at long last. How are you doing? Absolutely. Yes. No, I um, packed my little stick bag and went off to the world of full employment a few years ago, didn't I? And I think I've only been in the studio a few times since. What's amazing is I actually realised I've been gone so long, Lucy qualified as a doctor. that's true that's true true it is true but I'm good it's really nice to I like what you've done with the place I've only got I guess one big question if you don't mind for all of you the biggest thing that's changed since I haven't been here what on earth is the footy pressure gauge (laughs) (laughs) nobody knows now that's the 64 million dollar question no one knows the answer to that well, you, you said, Felicity, you like what you what we've done with the place because our listeners can't see being a, an audio medium, but we all are wearing something a bit funny. Uh, I have to come to you, Shelley. You're, you're in, the, <laughs> in the Christmas spirit. I am. Christmas is my favourite time of year, so I thought, stuff 2020, I'm going for Christmas. <laughs> Let's get this party over. Oh, I love it. And Julia Kiera, you're wearing what looks to me like a sassy little fedora. Is that right? 
Yes, I think I also need to wear a Lady Gaga style white blazer backwards. Was that Lady Gaga? That was Celine Dion. Yeah. Oh, what's Celine? How did yeah. I mix that up? No. Celine is in the house as well. I don't know <laughs> why was... this hat was in our home, but it was. So that's all I got. Well, it really suits you, but I must say, Nicole, you are looking amazing. Talk us through what's what is going on and what on earth it is that you're wearing. So this is my great idea to say we were going to dress up for a party and then promptly realise I had nothing, literally not a thing to wear. I'd got rid of all that kid stuff. So I employed my um, <laughs> largely unemployed teenagers to make me what I thought would be a pretty standard cone birthday kind of party hat and uh, they got a little carried away. There were several hours of much gleeful giggling and I was not allowed to see the results until the end, which made me very, very nervous. And now you have to look at it, basically. So uh, we are all stuck with it. It's quite extravagant, isn't it? It's sort of top hat-ish, sort of Alice in Wonderland-ish. Gorgeous. Next level um, side side glitter. You like? Yeah, and we've got the glitter as well. Yeah. No, I think they outdid themselves. I'm thoroughly impressed. So, uh, yep. It looks fantastic. It looks like you're going to an Easter bonnet parade. We'll put photos of it on our socials, right? Because um, I think we need we need an excuse to have a bit of a laugh at the moment. As I said at the the top, it's we're in the midst of this Groundhog Day of, of football, the festival of football, football, twenty days of footy, and so there's been no shortage of uh, of AFLM to feast our eyes on in the last few days and Shelley I might go to you first and ask what caught your eye over the the last round well I've been really interested in two players and watching them and bringing lots of joy to the game Nick Nack you know it's nice to see him after watching him with his knee injuries over um, the past year it's great to see him shining this season and the shortened games are certainly suiting Nick Nack's style and he's winning those center clearances and when you've even got Chris Scott saying that he's mesmerising, you know, there's something going on. And he was very exciting and a pleasure to watch. And Charlie Cameron, loving what he's doing. You know, lucky for the Lions now, he signed that nice long-term contract to the end of 25. Um, feels funny saying that, like, you know, he, you know, like 25. So he kicked a four goals and enjoy, I enjoyed his motorbike celebrations on the weekend. And he's in the top five of for the Coleman and it's, you know, it's a lot of fun and the kids, you know, I'm just loving his season, loving both of their seasons to be honest. Yeah. Yourself? <laughs> well, I mean, there's so much to like on the weekend. One of the things that I think mm. was um, a real highlight was watching the the Saints, and I know that you had uh, been interested in their performance as well, Nick. I just think it's so exciting seeing them up and about. Like they just, you know, they're, they're that other team that really just has a whole, had a lot of bad luck over the time. And they've so many times they've underperformed when we thought big things were happening. And, look, you know, they had a bit of a patchy start, but this year who, who hasn't really? But what I love about is they're really they're fast they're, they're playing really nice pattern football they're patches of football that's just really pretty to watch it's really team oriented and there's a really good spread across a lot of the different players you yeah they've got the butlers and the kings and you know some really exciting players coming up steel etc but it's right across the board and they've got a couple of really young guys who are exciting um Nick Hind who's you know he's playing his fourth game this year 15 all together and he got three goals one on the weekend so I mean that's really exciting and, and Ben Patton as well so I just think there's a lot of a lot of promise for this year but also for the years to come and 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 it's just lovely to see Brett Ratton doing well it is um I wanted to recognize one of our longtime listeners too Kate 
Burke, who tweeted us on the weekend after the St Kilda game and said that she had won the matrimonial cup for the first time in eight years because her Saints had beaten her husband's Swans. (laughs) And so I wanted to send out a congrats to her. I agree. They've been super impressive and they're, um, they're making their way up up the ladder and uh, as you said Nicole great to see them under Brett Ratton doing well as as well um, those are some of the highlights but I know Julia you had a, <laughs> a low light from the round oh look well I am usually pretty quiet in our group chat but on Friday night just gone I'd had a wine and sat down to watch Carlton play Hawthorne and just started ranting um, <laughs> I am a Carlton supporter. I love the club and I go for them. Patrick Cripps, he's a great player. He is a great player. But I guess my um, rant was about that I've, I've felt kind of a discomfort over the last six or seven years ever since he came to the club that he's been really been lauded as the second coming. And if you look at stories that came out of the club, they've called him a gauche, the best of the best, greatest of all time. And I've just felt discomfort about that when Carlton have finished in the bottom five since he's been there and, and that when you're in such a lowly performing team, yeah, that, that saying someone is the greatest of all time, like it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. It's not Michael Jordan in the Bulls, you know, like it's not, it, it doesn't, it doesn't compare. And I felt like him being elevated to captain, I totally understand why that's happened, but that he he doesn't necessarily oh, God, I'm going to be so fired. <laughs> that watching him at the weekend, that I think that there's a certain expectation that captains need to win games off their own boot, but I don't think that all captains need to do that, that captains can inspire in different ways. And I think of, say, you know, Nick Maxwell and Easton Wood who were premiership captains as defenders and, and their contribution was being steady, reliable defenders that were predictable and held down an opponent that you don't necessarily need to win it off your own boot. And I feel like the way that Patrick Cripps has been treated over his time at Carlton has has held him up as this kind of messiah that's going to save us all, when really the Carlton list is magnificent at the moment. I think it's so exciting. They're really sharing the load um, and that he doesn't have to win the, the game off his own boot. Having said all that, there are these couple of decisions that he made in the second quarter We I just felt like, he felt like he needed to win the game for us. Um, he takes a mark on the 50-metre line when Carl, when Carlton was up, but Hawthorne had got quite a few goals and were creeping back. And he's clearly beyond his range. And then he goes and he plays on to try and get around the mark. It totally flubs up. Then he coughs the ball up and then Hawthorne sweep it back the other end. And then again a few minutes later, Harry Mackay, a uh, key forward, takes a mark, you know, 40 metres out, and Cripps called for the hands to take a flying shot and goal. I, I'm obviously interpreting a lot here <laughs> about it, but I've I've felt like I, I don't feel like Patrick Cripps is that clutch player that will win games of his own boot. He wins the contested ball. He's very strong in the contest. He's a, he's a contested ball beast, and that's what he brings. He doesn't need to win the game of his own boot, but he feels the need to do it. After that, he he showed this kind of panic and then the rest of the team panicked. And you contrasted it to Hawthorne who, you know, Hawthorne has its issues at the moment, but you've still got so many really um, older players who know how to win 
And it was at that time when you were down where Shields kicks two goals, Isaac Smith, Isaac Smith kicks two goals, Gunston kicks a goal, all those guys who know how to win knew how to do it then. And I was just a bit disappointed. I was going to say, I feel like I have to give Shelley a right of reply as a cult. What did you feel the same, Michelle? <laughs> I just feel like, um, Patrick, you, you're right, Julia, in that he did feel like he needed to sort of get the team going and get it all going. So we made two decisions that weren't his best decisions and um, it was quite odd to see him like that. I think also he has spent so much time being, had two players on him defending him. Mm. It was almost like, oh, hang on, this isn't happening this game. What do I do? What do I do? And it just, mm-hmm. I think it was just the panic, like you said, it set in and everything. And I think I tweeted, um, sometimes SHIT just happens. <laughs> and that's what we saw. So let's regroup, let's get going. They've got a bye. And now, you know, we're going to talk about their Carlton Respects game a little bit later. But I still love them. Talking about Hawthorne's um, poor patch, I just want to say, Julia, I think that might be over. (laughs) I want to to recognise a listener to the podcast and a friend of mine, Greg Dorr, who's up in Sydney. Greg pointed out to me on the weekend that Hawthorne was zero and four during their stint living in Sydney and that they came good as soon as they left and went to Perth. And so I'm wondering if it was a Coogee curse. Um, that's now behind us and we'll go on to win the flag, which will be terrific uh, and I'll be thrilled to see that happen. <laughs> of course, but I may, be, I may be going too soon. Felicity, what about you? What was your highlight? If I was going to talk about football, which I'm aware this is a football show, I would talk about Charlie Dixon. He was terrifying last night. What a huge mountain of a marking gentleman he is. But I have a confession that I've been cheating on you all with a little bit of rugby league on the side. Oh, oh. Yeah, I'll see you later. Oh, you're breaking up now, Felicity. You're breaking up. I can use her using my, my cursor. What I'm liking is they've brought in some new rules this year and there is one rule that I think we could bring into AFL that's really good. They've brought in this rule called um, the captain's call and what it is is like a challenge that you would get in tennis or cricket where it, some point during the game, the captain can challenge the ref on a decision and say, don't agree. They go to the scoreboard, double check it. And if you, you know, if, if the captain was right, you keep the challenge. And if he was wrong, you lose the challenge. And I'm thinking that this would be an excellent initiative in AFL to have a captain's call where at one point during the game, you get to make a call and say, no, hang on, that, that ball was clearly touched or something along those lines. Now, I can see the scepticism on all the Zoom faces looking back at me because I know what you're thinking. Because you're thinking, how on earth is this going to work? Because the captain could be in the forward line and the decision that they need to overturn could be done the other line. So I've got two strategies for this, and I'd be pleased to hear any of yours. But my first one is, do you all remember Captain Von Trapp with his whistles? Who could forget? Of course. Okay. Of course. So I'm thinking the captain just alerts the nearest umpire who plays an elaborate tune that's different to the normal whistle to just alert everybody to the fact that there is a captain's call. (laughs) Obviously follows it up with a gesture. So we can have a lasso. I'm thinking we can have a salute. I mean, the salute (laughs) salute is golden. (laughs) That would be right, wouldn't it? The other option, obviously, is you don't make it a captain's call. You make it the coach's call and you you give the coach a buzzer and they can (laughs) twitch over the buzzer 
Like, can you imagine watching Chris Scott with his hand like twitching on a buzzer the entire game, going, "Is this the one? Is this the one?" And then everybody calms down. So Clark would be challenged by that. Only once right. would work for him. He'd want to do it every time there's a tackle. That's all I've got from rugby league, though. I don't like the rest of it. But can I- we recast the whole of the AFL to the Von Traps? Because I think Sue Alberti is the Baroness. Oh, for oh sure. yes. Nice. <laughs> <Right>. Yes. <laughs> Who's going to be Captain Von Trapp, though? I feel like that's a – is that Gil or Hamish? I feel like it's a polo player. Somebody, <laughs> somebody who knows how to ride a horse. Fair enough. All right. And Raise it right. Caleb Daniel will be Greta. <laughs> yeah. Dane Zorko is Kurt, I think. Definitely <laughs> with that hair. <laughs> I'm Sabrina Frederick and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. So it's – about this time every week that we roll up our sleeves and melee, but it is chilly outside, as I mentioned, so let's roll up our snow mittens. Are you ready to do this? And melee. One of the very big stories over the round was the announcement on the weekend that five clubs had received substantial fines for breaches of the AFL's COVID-19 protocols. The details in short were that Hawthorne was fined $50,000 for an incident involving players going to get hot chips. Carlton were fined $45,000 for some children going to a theme park. North Melbourne were fined $45,000 after some players' partners attended a game at the Gabba. Richmond were fined $45,000 after Trent Cotchen's wife, Brooke, went to have a day spa and posted uh, some details about it on social media. And then finally, Collingwood was fined after Nathan Buckley and Brenton Sanderson uh, were found to have gone for a hit of tennis with former uh, player Alicia Mollick. Now, for the most part, all of the key figures involved in that were contrite and swiftly apologised and some of the figures like Nathan Buckley and Brenton Sanderson offered to pay the, the fines or the aspects of the fines that weren't suspended themselves. But there has been a lot of debate over whether the responses were uh, harsh enough. And for instance, Scott Heinrich, who was writing for The Guardian, called them nothing more than a slap on the wrist noting that governments and officials outside Victoria had bent over backwards to accommodate the AFL and that these people were putting everything at risk. In recent weeks on the show, we've talked a lot about the lack of transparency, in my view, and um, the inconsistency that's sometimes at play in these kinds of decisions by the AFL. I wondered, for example, why it was that some of those people, like Nathan Buckley, hadn't been sanctioned for bringing the game into disrepute. But uh, I am interested in hearing how you all saw it. What did you think? Well, I personally think that um, Collingwood shouldn't have had a coach that week. I think that he should have stood down for the week and it should have been somebody else coaching that game. Why do you say that, Shell? I think that if it was a player that had done something like that, that we would have seen them miss a game, and I don't see any different for a coach myself. In fact, it's possibly worse. Yeah. he should have. He's supposed to be the leader, the one that everybody looks up to and lives by, and um, we all make mistakes. I'm sure they've all said that. But this is a really clear, defined space they are living in. Couldn't be clearer on the rules. People lives have been changed so they can live within these hotels people are missing out on weddings people can't go and see family that are sick interstate you know big things are happening all around Australia and it's just a really it's just a bit of a slap in the face for the average person when they do things like that that's my opinion do you think it means that the the rules weren't um, explicit or clear enough like if if a coach can misinterpret them 
like was the message not clear enough? No, the, the, the message is crystal clear. They, they all very much know the rules. I think what we're seeing is that people are forgetting that they're in a hub. They're getting caught up in the, the whole situation and they're just starting to have a normal life like we did here in Victoria. You know, people started forgetting that there was um, COVID here and now we're in this situation of lockup. I just think they got a bit caught up in the moment, but they should have had more, um, should have been more at the forefront of their mind. And, you know, I don't, it's just, for me, it's just not good enough. Nicole, you, I know, have been very interested in this story and following some of the media fallout in particular. Can you tell us a little bit about exactly how that unfolded? And Well, probably what I just wanted to respond to the kind of the reaction. What I've noticed has been missing in this conversation, the focus has been on the penalty and the the opinion and the reputation and and all of that sort of sort of appearance and the message that's being sent it's missing the point the point is these hubs and quarantines were about preserving a pristine environment are about making sure that there is no transmission between community and the hubs yes there's all of that expense and absolutely it's bad for the game from an appearance point of view but it's also dangerous what they did is they breached it was a health requirement rather it's not about penalty it's about the fact that those people who transgressed should have been removed from the hub they should be sent home they should have been or separated out exactly and they shouldn't have been able to interact with anyone else because that's the point of it yeah they should have gone through another two-week quarantine to ensure that the rest of the environment remains pristine and none of that happened and I think part of the problem with that is that Several of those people who transgressed, or two in particular, are very high-profile people, players in particular, and the coach. So you've got Buckley. Um, I mean, you had side bottom, bottom before as well. And obviously, Trent Cotchen's wife, Brooke, which affects the Cotchen family. So theoretically, that family should have been probably quarantined and not allowed to, unable to intermingle with anybody else from the time that that breach was recognised. Nobody's been having that conversation in the media, or at least, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, if somebody has actually made that point, I don't feel like they have. And I think that part of the problem with this is one of the challenges we've come up and discussed before is the fact that the football media is so deeply in the pocket of the AFL that there are limited um, outlets, there are limited, in, there's, there's limited independence. And we saw that play out very clearly with the Mitch Cleary incident where he reported on, you know, named Brooke Cochin in his report on that breach and then was stood down by the AFL. He works for AFL Media, obviously. Now, they did, re, they did fix that and they claimed it was an editorial policy that he breached and should have known that and they weren't going to name names. The fact that the, names had, the name was already out there and had been um, named by someone else is kind of secondary to that. It's still, as a journalist, that feels like that's your first obligation when it isn't in any breach of any other sort of privacy issues. We saw how that played out. But we also, in the Collingwood situation, imagine removing the Collingwood coach. Imagine taking them out of the game for two weeks and not being able to interact with their players. Well, you know, we already know that there's an extreme conflict with Eddie Maguire and his company, Jam Media, which owns virtually, you know, a a large amount of the TV broadcast media, football media. Um, Most of the programs on commentary that we watch are a Jam Media or Fox footy outlet. There's the ABC is doing some good stuff, uh, obviously, and, and remains independent, but they don't have the TV broadcast, and that is obviously the biggest audience. And I just think when you've got most journalists either work for or want to work for or in some way will overlap with those limited opportunities within that um, football media space, I don't think it's in their best interest to undermine the spectacle, to undermine the game in any way by 
actually calling out that sort of behaviour in the way it needs to be done. And I just, I, I feel like as a result, the important aspect of that whole debate was missed or ignored. I wonder if I can give you a question without notice, Julia, and, and bring you into this conversation because you have, of course, in the past been a, a welfare manager at, at one of the clubs and you have a social work background. And, and I wonder if you have any reflections on how the players might be dealing with this hub environment, the the kind of psychological adjustment that Nicole's talking about to, to adapt to that. Do you have any insights on what, mm. what can be done to better support them, to improve things, to prevent this kind of thing from happening in the future? Yeah, it's hard to know what's actually happening in-house. I think that what keeps people feeling well and settled is a routine and predictability. And that I think that that would be very challenging in hubs when you've got to move around, when there's lots of, say, partners and children and so on that aren't usually there. Like players are really used to travelling. They're really used to living out of a bag in a hotel room, but it's usually for a short period of time and they're usually there by themselves just with their teammates and there's a certain, you know, vibe that comes with that with the team just being away together with the staff and suddenly you've thrown in all these other people. There is, you know, certain restrictions about what they're going to do. So I think that whatever can be done to, to establish these routines and rules so so that people have that predictability about what they what's expected of them every day, that, that helps people feeling like there is some sense of certainty in an uncertain time. I presume that the clubs and the team managers and the welfare people are trying to put that into place. But the the Brooke Cochin example, you know, they're there with three little children outside of their own home in, in a hotel. Like it doesn't sound like an ideal situation. So, yeah, I, I, I appreciate everything that you guys have said, but I could also see how people would be going a bit stir-crazy and trying to have their escapes I don't justify it but you can you can see the urge because we're all living with it here too (laughs) Mm, we are we are but also our homes don't impact a um, multi-million dollar um, industry that also impacts the lives of you know the three four hundred people that could potentially get COVID from their their little fun game of tennis or pamper down at the salon like all those people Got no problem with the people. It's just that they weren't thinking straight and thinking about other people in that moment. We talked uh, about the the need for certainty and the fact that this is an inherently uncertain time, as you said, Julia. But one thing that is certain this year, which I think is um, terrific and positive, is that the Carlton Respects game is going to go ahead. As I said, so much of the season has been thrown into disarray, but this is something we've stuck with. Tell us a little bit about it, Shelley. Yes, so this Sunday we'll see Carlton pull on the orange socks, which is the international colour of harmony. So the campaign was supported by our Watch and Promote gender equality for the prevention of violence against women. So shamefully, one woman a week is actually murdered in Australia by a current or former partner. And during COVID restrictions and lockdown, there's two thirds of women have said that they've experienced domestic violence or sexual assault, so that it's actually escalated during this pandemic. What we're going to see in the um, Carlton Socials this week is they're going to be shining a light on healthy relationships and what it takes to create one and why it's important in every aspect of our lives and allowing people to feel respected, safe and, um, you know, see and share each other's joys and challenges and life with each other. So really it's about being the change that you want to see your children and peers 
you know, because they're watching you all the time. Your peers are watching you, your children are watching. So, you know, be the be the change that you want to see. And if you want to know more information about the Carlton Respects program that is making some great changes in this space, check it out on their website. Um, and if you are obviously experiencing um, domestic violence currently, please reach out and there's the call 1800 RESPECT, which is the national helpline. You know, there's a lot of love out there and, and Carlton are doing their best to shine a light on a situation that, quite frankly, I think we should already be looking at. That's this weekend. Thank you very much, Shelley. A really absolutely vital initiative and, yeah, sadly, more vital uh, in 2020 than ever, it seems. One thing that has been in the headline a lot this week is the AFLW. A number of players have announced their retirement, including Talia Radan, Courtney Cramey and Courtney Gum. Uh, it's really disappointing, I think, that we're not going to see these women be able to get a proper farewell, but it is it is what it is. But I do wonder if they might get another chance of some kind. Um, Felicity, because we've heard about a new initiative this week that aims to give women opportunities in footy. That's right. Um, so the AFL this week announced that for the 2021 year, they're going to be offering clubs a $200,000 subsidy outside of their cap to encourage them to employ or retain women and Indigenous people in roles within the men's football program. Now, these have to be roles that weren't traditionally filled by people from, I guess, the, the non-traditional male talent pool. So roles such as dietitian, canteen helper and jumper washer are probably <laughs> ruled out. But um, roles in the uh, the football department are definitely on the table, so recruiting, data analysis, etc. Now, there's a real lack of representation in those roles and um, this is a really great initiative. I think at this stage, from what I read, um, the plan is for it to be for next year and um, hopefully it's successful and then it, it, can, it can roll on through. Um, but it would be a great pathway for some of these women who are just exiting the game um, to take some of their really clever football brains straight into a um, you know a, a role where they could 100% add value so it'd be really interesting to see if you're following Beck Goddard on Twitter she's kindly putting forward uh, names of lots of people she suggests humbly hasn't listed herself but I would suggest she'd be a pretty good catch as well. <laughs> she would be wonderful in any in any capacity in a football department but uh especially in a in a senior role as she is she well deserves there's also been some less interesting less exciting news depending on which side of the fence you sit on in aflw so there was some shosking <laughs> news this week <laughs> With the AFLW trades underway, Sarah Hosking going to Richmond, among others. Julia, you've been keeping an eye on all of this. How have you seen it play out so far? Well, firstly, isn't it amazing to get so many trades happening in the first 48 hours? What a shock. Do you have a view, Julia, on why that might be? Is it something about COVID times? Do you think... I don't know. What they're all bored and they're just like (laughs) ready to leap out of their skin. I'm not 100 percent sure why. I think because it's it's actually a less complicated system than um, the men's, where there's more players, there's more teams, there's more draft picks, there's more. You know, they they trade future draft picks, all this kind of stuff. Where you know, there's always that flurry at the end of the men's where they're waiting for all the draft picks to kind of unfold. I think that. I think it's slightly less complicated. There's less kind of dominoes. 
maybe it is that just everyone's actually been sitting around waiting for Monday noon to happen so and that they've had all those conversations I think I suspect I think- now there's not going to be as many and then we'll see a lot at the end as well but the ones that we've happened today and yesterday were in the pipeline and there was nothing that was going to change them I was going to say another possibility is that women just get stuff done well of course there's that um they're generally more decisive and know what they want and go and get it. How do you think it's looking for the various clubs that uh, that have been active in these first few days? Um, I haven't been surprised about the moves that have been made. I, like the Sarah uh, Hosking one, I can totally see how that's a mutually beneficial decision. Sarah is a fantastic person. Anyone who's ever had anything to do with her at um, Carlton would know that. The cheer, she's beloved by the cheer squad. She's developed so much in her four years at Carlton, but Carlton's very kind of top-heavy in terms of their leaders, um, in terms of the, the salary tiers. They've got a lot of people competing at that top end. And so she can go to Richmond and be a really experienced player and, and add that value and probably squeeze into one of those uh, top tiers that she would have been bumped out of at, at Carlton. So I can see that that's probably happened with a few of these moves where players are going, where they can where the club that they're at, they're not able to move up further in terms of leadership or wages because there are just people sitting above them, but they can go somewhere else. So Richmond have probably been been using that as a strategy to get some more experienced players along. I think their list strategy from last year has been really criticised in that they went, you know, they got three big guns in Sabrina, Frederick, Katie Brennan and Monconti. And then, you know, they had a few others, but they they had a, a... big stack of VFLW um, players and they kind of didn't have, you know, that middle tier run, that middle tier filled up. So, you know, they've gone after Sarah Darcy, very experienced player, Sarah Dargan, who's an up-and-coming midfielder, Harriet Corner, I'm really surprised she's gone to Richmond, but I can totally see why, and Sarah Hoskin as well. So they're loading up. Jade Van Dyke has gone to St Kilda to just continue your Hawthorne VFLW reunification. She is a, a huge loss, I think, for Carlton. She didn't get on the park last year because she had a an injury, but she's a fantastic player and she'll slot in really well at St Kilda. So I can see heaps of these trades really being really beneficial for the player themselves and the club. It's all very nice in AFLW. It's nice. <laughs> it is. It is. It's just everyone's so lovely. Yeah. One club that had that did take a bit of a hit over the, the last couple of years that lost a bit of talent, it was the Western Bulldogs. They lost Katie Brennan and, and others, uh, but they do have a, an absolute superstar in uh, the form of Izzy Huntington. And earlier today, Julia, you and Nicole sat down to catch up with her and see how she's going in ISO. Izzy Huntington plays for the Western Bulldogs in the AFLW. She was taken at pick one in 2017. She endured some rotten luck with injuries before her 2020 season where she made her mark as an intercept defender. And we last spoke to her in April after she had won the Rising Star Award. So, Izzy, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? Thanks very much for having me, guys. It's a pleasure to chat as per usual. I'm doing pretty well, yeah. Obviously, a bit of an uncertain time um, as it has been the past six months or so and not so much fun being a Victorian at the moment. But I think all things considering, um, I'm going all right personally. Um, you know, a lot have it 
much worse off than me. So you've just sort of, sort of got to have a bit of perspective with it all, I guess. Is you taking up any new hobbies to kind of fill the time or is this, uh, are you just kind of trying to keep status quo? <laughs> good question. I actually haven't been too bored as of yet, which is good. Um, I'm fortunate enough to still be working and have a lot of uni to get through as well. So I've been filling in my days relatively well. Um, no exciting hobbies, unfortunately, but um, we've still got, what, five and a half weeks to sort them out. So if you guys have any recommendations, let me know. <laughs> Knitting, I think, is coming back. So when we last spoke to you in April, I think everyone was hoping we'd see the return of VFLW at some point and community footy, um, at least in Melbourne, and we know that that's been called off. So can you tell us a bit about what impact that's having on you for having a footyless winter? Yeah, it's all a bit different. I think um, we certainly weren't expecting this in April, um, but you've just got to sort of roll with it all and take it week by week. Um, for us, good cliches, yeah. good cliches there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for us, it's obviously really different having to sort of train by ourselves or in groups of two and um, a lot of uncertainty as well and having to get pretty creative in terms of how you train. So gym programs are done with what we can find at home. So, you know, a lot of um, filled up empty milk bottles and using bags and things like that to get it going. But, yeah, it's it's obviously not ideal having no footy and you're sort of pretty envious looking at other states, seeing that their um, state competitions are, are back up and that's, yeah, really awesome for them to be able to do that. But, yeah, for us it's, it's sort of different. Um, I feel like I've been able to acclimatise pretty well from sort of previously having a few footyless winters as well with my injuries. So, yeah, I've sort of been through it before. But for a lot of the girls it's been pretty tough and we've all just sort of had to rally around each other and hope for the best. Given that, Izzy, that, you know, the other states are playing footy and Victoria's not and the NAB League's been cancelled as well, how are the Victorian players, like, around the opportunities for recruitment and to be drafted, how's that affecting them? Yeah, it's an interesting one, the sort of equity, I guess, when you think about it. Um, I guess the other states would probably be um, sort of thinking this is a bit of payback because... Um, like a Vic bias all the time so maybe it's balancing out in the end but um yeah I know certainly for players that are hoping to get drafted um in Victoria it's definitely a tough one they don't quite get their chance to you know impress the recruiters or go out there and show them what they've got but I think everyone's sort of on the same level in terms of that um so you know it's not like one Victorian is getting more advantage over another in that sense but yeah it's going to be a really funny draft I think um because there's going to be a, a big reliance on uh, what recruiters have seen in previous years and the girls that potentially weren't playing in previous years won't quite get the same opportunity, um, but hopefully it sort of all evens out in the end. It will be a strange draft and Nick mentioned that Nablin's been cancelled and we've also heard today that the VFLW Super Series that proposed will be cancelled as well. Not the opportunity for girls to actually play. Can you tell us a bit about what impact you've seen the lockdown have on your fellow AFLW players, I guess, beyond football, especially those ones in your age bracket, which, you know, might be studying or who really rely on casual jobs that have been impacted by what's been happening? Yeah, I think obviously there's a pretty um, universal toll that it's taking um, on people's livelihoods and particularly those that are relying on such jobs and such work and particularly in the mental health space as well. 
it hasn't been easy for a lot of um, people and yeah for a lot of my teammates and players in the AFLW um, we obviously have our, our work outside of our footy we're not full-time athletes yet we're hoping so soon but yeah it's a really difficult thing I've I don't think I've got too many teammates that are still working at the moment. Most have sort of been stood down or are working on reduced hours. So that uncertainty um, is obviously really tough and um, takes a a mental toll. And um, we're sort of lucky to have each other in a way and to be able to support each other in that way and, and have the support from the club. And the dogs have been really great in keeping their support up throughout this period. But uh, yeah, I think for a lot of young people, um, it is a huge issue, the, the lack of sort of support um, in terms of casual workers and um, just the uncertainty, really. Have most of the interstate players gone back? Like, have they gone back home for the quarantine period? Yeah, so Hannah Munyard, um, we've had she's gone back up to Adelaide. That was straight after um, the season, really, I think. Um, and then our two Irish recruits, um, both, oh, not anymore, unfortunately, Ash Mack, we miss her um both back to Ireland um so yeah I think most uh most players are back in their home state and probably enjoying a bit of freedom there probably glad they got out but um yeah it's just just the native Victorians back here at the moment Izzy we've been watching the trades take place the last couple of days any uh big surprises anything you were uh, weren't expecting happen uh yeah it's always a funny week it's pretty chaotic and there's always some bombshells that get dropped um, and, and rumours swirling around. Oh, obviously, we're devastated to have Ash McCarthy leave. Um, she's awesome, really great person, obviously a very good player and very underrated player. But um, I think in terms of her needs, um, West Coast will hopefully be really great for her. And, um, yeah, it, it is a difficult thing coming over as an international player. And, yeah, I think there are a few factors in that. So we'll certainly miss her, um, but that's all right. We'll still keep in contact. And the one thing I've noticed is... is Bit quirky, the amount of Sarahs that are getting traded. <laughs> so I'll keep my eye out for that. But um, yeah, Richmond seem to have certainly brought in um, a few more experienced players, which I think is good tactic from them. But I think, yeah, what have we got? Five more days of it or so. So we'll wait and see if there's anything more to come out that's um, a bit of a bombshell. Well, without giving away any secrets, looking around the league at the moment, who would you love to see traded to the Bulldogs? <laughs> Oh, God, yeah, gee, that'd be a fair list. There's some pretty, pretty <laughs> impressive players out there that I'd love to play with. I would I would love a, a sort of a key position player. I think um, that's what our team needs, a, a defender or a forward to come in. So um, I'm trying to think of names, but whoever would fit that um, mould, as, as well as a, probably a midfielder to help um, in there as well. They're probably our needs. So I'm not sure what our list manager, Nick Stanley, has got up his sleeve exactly. He doesn't doesn't give too much away to us, but I'm hoping we can sort of fill those roles somehow. In terms of that, like, are you hearing any rumours or any, like, do you guys talk about it? Is it a big sort of part of your chat? You know, who trying to guess who's going to do what or even talk <laughs> to other players, try to convince your teammates not to leave or try to get players down? Like, we've heard some chat before. <laughs> what about... At the Bulldogs? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Sometimes I feel like it's a bit taboo to just figure out it all and um, you, know, you hear rumours filling around, you don't necessarily want to address it um, <laughs> directly. But, um, yeah, I think it probably it's part of it, um, trying to hang on to players that, you know, you might hear are leaving is sort of talking them out of it <laughs> and, and telling them how much fun they <laughs> keep having um, at their own club. And, yeah, I guess there's a, a degree as well of um, trying to bring in players that you have heard are, probably swirling around the mark so yeah a few messages probably exchange here and there but there's not too much like everyone sort of just waits and and sees how it all plays out and 
you know, there are new developments every day, so it's actually quite hard to keep track of. Um, and if, if there was a big group chat of it all, it would probably be uh, loaded with hundreds of messages a day. So, um, yeah, I just keep my eye on Twitter, actually. It's probably the best source of it all. <laughs> you've been very diplomatic there, Izzy. <laughs> you've been you've been very diplomatic. Just switching tack, we're you know inundated with AFLM at the moment every day, and you know the season their season's been operating on shorter quarters and a truncated preseason. And arguably, I reckon we've seen the skill level and scoreline reflect that. Those factors have often been used to critique AFLW, surprisingly enough. So, what have been your thoughts just watching a few AFL games <laughs> this season? No, I did. Um, I did admittedly love the um, a few of the tweets that went out on um, the first round back for the men's, just sort of bringing them back down to earth and letting them know how it's um, what it's like to be an AFLW player in a way in that scoreline. So it's not that surprising to be honest. Um, and us um, as players will probably yeah have been able to predict this really well in terms of if you don't train full-time if you have sort of interrupted schedules and you have those shorter quarters well then of course the the scores are going to be lower and um it's, it's almost been a nice little um boost for us in terms of letting some of the the people out there that love to comment on how low the a4w scoring is just to let them know that you know happens to the men's too if they're under the same conditions but yeah the one interesting thing i've been sort of trying to keep a bit of an eye on is also the injury rates mm. as well because um Obviously, you look at the preparation and obviously the men's players this season have had a bit of a funny one in terms of their preparation and training and they've still, for the most part, been able to train full-time, but obviously it's been a little bit truncated. So for me, I've been quite interested in keeping an eye on the injuries and obviously it's been sad to see um, a lot of them pop up, but I think it relates back to AFLW as well a lot um, in that we do see a fair few injuries in the AFLW season, but we also, yeah, do have that sort of truncated pre-season and um, don't have all the time to prepare. So, yeah, there's a few interesting outtakes from it all and um, hopefully it can sort of progress both the AFLW and the AFLM in that sense and the the AFL um, as a body can look at that and see which parts of it they really need to sort of tailor to reducing injury rates or improving scoring or things like that. Sounds good. And with the weight of the AFL behind it, we, we might see some more research actually benefiting everyone. Yeah, nice. Uh, well, thank you so much, Izzy, for joining us. Uh, we look forward uh, with bated breath to the rest of the trade period. Hug your loved ones. I hope the doggies get a key position player or mid like you're after. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And all the best with the rest of lockdown. Keep safe. Thanks so much, Jules. Appreciate that. So it's about this time every week that we change pace and talk about culture, things that have been keeping us going while we've been in lockdown and tips and hints that all of you can listen to too. We have, of course, been doing this thing for a while where we have a different intro each week. And I have to tell you that um, friend of the podcast, Celine Dion, who was, of course, mentioned earlier by you, Julia. She heard across the seas that footy was back and that we were having this festival of footy and feared that the fifth quarter might not go ahead. So she sent in a plaintive plea for us to keep the fifth quarter and for us to think twice. Don't think I can't feel that there's something stuck in this lockdown for so long I learned to your part it's a shining light please tell me there's gonna be a fifth quarter
tonight This is getting serious Should I watch Get Out or Us? Don't say what you're about to say I need the fifth quarter to stay from the PM who'd have thought so before you can this part sanctum thing twice sanctum thing twice so we've got a theme for the fifth quarter this week because we are in the midst of this footy festival and everybody has returned to Zoom parties now that we're back in lockdown. So we figured we'd try to do something a bit upbeat and have a theme about festivals and parties. What have you all been watching, listening to, reading? Felicity. Going with the party theme <laughs> and having watched every show on Netflix whilst walking every street in Brighton, um, we've gone back to old shows from the 90s. We've been working our way through like Northern Exposure and having like real nostalgia about the wholesomeness of some of these shows. But a week or so back, I was reminded when our house was quite full, we had all our kids at home to stay. I, I was reminded of that show Party of Five where Lacey, the youngest, slept in a tent in the lounge room because it was the only place she could get privacy it came up because I was trying to find my 13 year old and I found him in the lounge room under the clothes rack where I'd put a sheet over the top <laughs> and um you know to dress, speed up the drying process and yeah Clovey found a little hole to hide away in there but anyway party of five I was thinking about it, it revolved around the five Salinger kids who were left behind when their parents died in a car accident and a very young Matthew Fox um stepped up he was the slightly hopeless elder brother uh, Charlie and he took you know, got custody of the four younger siblings um, and they all banded together and ran the parents restaurant and paid the mortgage whilst navigating themes such as substance abuse and domestic violence teen pregnancy cancer and of course the long-term effects of um, parental loss but the cast also had amazing 90s iconic names like Neve Campbell Jennifer Love Hewitt and Lacey Shebert who did actually move out of the tent um, and went on to have a lead role in Mean Girls. If you want some 90s wholesome nostalgia, Party of Five. Oh, that's great. I haven't thought of that show for years and years, but I loved it when it was on. I thought it was it was really enjoyable. What about you, Nick? What have you been getting into? I've gone highbrow. I've gone top level for me. I am indulging in a little bit of Bachelor in Paradise. At the behest of my children, my daughters, they wanted me to watch it because Survivor's our usual show and that's not happening. So they have dragged me kicking and screaming into Bachelor in Paradise land. The party themes there, they have these things called bula banquets or these big parties and they basically ask each other all these anonymous, brutal questions. Look, it is as horrible as it sounds. I'm not going to pretend. It's deeply problematic. Um, I'm really uncomfortable with how many backsides I've seen. Um, the kissing is awkward and really messy to watch. And there's some hyper-masculine behaviour. But setting all that aside, <laughs> it has actually created a really great space for my daughters and I to, to kind of unpack 
what's going on and they're fully critical of it. So I thought they were just like slavish devotees. They are not at all. <laughs> they're really critical of it. They were breaking it all down. They And I know we've had some fantastic conversations, but it's also further improved. And I will say she is a friend of mine. She's my supervisor for my PhD and also my boss at Deakin Uni. Jodie McAllister is an academic who writes on popular culture and she has a Twitter feed. She does the live stream for Bachelor in Paradise. It adds a whole other level. She's very, very funny. And then on um, Book Thingo, she has a blog afterwards and it weaves academic scholarly sort of theory in with, you know, so you'll have like Louis-Georges Tin and homosocial bonds mixed in with giant flamingos and bikinis. It is actual gold. So highly recommend if you are going to do the Go Bachelor, like big catch up. It's finishing next week, so you might want to hurry. Also follow Jodie McAllister on Twitter. Julia Kiera, what about you? Well, I'm going to talk about something that I actually haven't done yet because it's not on yet. But the Melbourne Writers Festival uh, is, you know, not in person this year. It's going to be offered digitally and you can buy tickets. They've got some really great guests. Julia Gillard, friend of the pod, I believe. Claire Bowditch, Anne Enright, Kate Greenville. They've all got sessions on. But the one I'm really looking forward to is Jessie Two, who will be talking about her book, A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing, with Alice Pung. And Britt Bennett will be talking about The Vanishing Half. So, one great thing of lockdown is I've just been reading so much, which is something I've never really had the time for. So my little literary head is going to have a little literary fest. That sounds delightful. I've gone with a sort of similar theme in a way, Julia. With uh, I've been thinking about festivals and uh, a lot of the film festivals that uh, were due to happen this year have been cancelled or are happening in different ways. And a film festival that I uh, always keep my eye on is the Cannes Film Festival and that was cancelled this year. But one of my lifelong goals has been to watch all of the winners of the top prize at the Cannes Film, film Festival, which is the Palm Door. <laughs> and so I have decided to do that and I've started a little project and this is enjoyable I think because it's kind of partly entertaining but also partly project I feel like I'm partly a project and I feel like I'm achieving something in in doing it which is helpful it gives me a bit of structure and and it's also good because I find myself I haven't done Netflix like you have Felicity but (laughs) I find myself just endlessly flicking Netflix and not a (laughs) I'm just not able to make a decision because I'm overwhelmed by choice. So I recommend our listeners pick a list like a list of best best picture Oscars or for me it's the winners of the Palm Door. There's a lot of great films. I've seen a lot of them before but I haven't seen them all. So we watched The Conversation the other night which we had never seen before, Um, a famous Francis Ford Coppola film which was terrific. There's also some classics on there that I'm going to re-watch like Sex, Lies and Videotape and I'm going to re-watch Blue is the Warmest Colour and Julia then you and I can talk about whether or not it's any good because I know you haven't seen it yet but we've been talking about it. So, well, I've seen it. I loved it but I'm interested in everyone else's perspectives on all of these. So it's a great excuse to watch some classics. Shelley Ware, what about you last of all? I love a wedding and I think they're fantastic parties and I loved the movie Top End Wedding so I'm going to get that out and watch that a few times because I love Miranda Tatsall and she co-wrote the film and was executive producer and I also have a little crush on Willem Lee. So it's just a romantic comedy that I loved. I loved the country we saw and the people of Darwin and Tiwi Island and it was just gorgeous. But also Miranda Tapsell has recently released a book, Top End Girl, and she um, opens 
our hearts to the importance of country and culture and how we can be richer for it. So then get on both of those, you know, both a joy to watch and a read to watch in isolation and for us, lockdown. Oh, they're all absolutely amazing recommendations. So um, thanks so much, everyone. And uh, hopefully uh, there's something there that will tickle everybody's fancy. I wanted to end by acknowledging that a lot of our listeners are doing it really tough out there and have been having a very difficult, not just a difficult week, a difficult few weeks and, and months, but this week I think has been especially hard. Um, we want to send our love to Ben Brown and his partner Hester who shared their story publicly this week and they have lost one of the twins that they are um, expecting and so we wanted to send our very best to them. I also want to send out a special thanks to our listener Kate Hawes. So Kate is based in Adelaide and a couple of days ago Kate tweeted us when the introduction of further restrictions for Victorians were announced, including the curfew that, that we're all now experiencing. And Kate promised to tweet us a baby animal picture every day until this was over to help keep our spirits up. She said that our podcast got her through tough times in Adelaide with their restrictions and she was happy to pay it forward. I think that says so much about the lovely listeners that we have to this show and the generosity of spirit of the community. So thank you, Kate. Check out our socials for those tweets because she's been sending them through every day and they're lovely. Otherwise, take care, everybody. Support each other. Be kind. Stay safe. There's only one thing left to say. That is... Go, 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 go